everybody, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 488 being recorded on February 21st, 2018. I'm Ryan Strout. I'm Jeremy Elstrom. I'm Josh Walbreth. I'm Alan Valentano. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. We don't normally wear matching shirts, but this time it was on purpose that we did it, actually. And Ken, Ken is trying to find another one, I guess, for himself. I, here's the secret. There are no other ones left. That's why I'm telling you that. Why not? Um, <laughs> apparently, the shirt I was wearing before uh, was visually uh, grating to the audience. It was more rain. Both Ken and the, and the, uh, uh, the chat. Uh, during the live stream stream eye for the white guy which so you know people who watch us after the fact don't get that thrilling context of why alan and i are wearing identical t-shirts uh <laughs> yours is more worn out than mine it's literally impossible because this is the first time it's been worn well mine's why is my life darker than yours like a better green yours has all like the wrinkles and stuff in it i don't, I don't know. know they're printed different <laughs> times man i don't get it okay um but anyway, if you want to make sure you don't miss out on exciting things like Ryan changing his shirt before the show starts, <laughs> you can uh, watch us live on Wednesday nights, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific at pcper.com slash live. Um, and, uh, uh, or if you need a gentle reminder about when that is, you can go to pcper.com slash subscribe. You get this page here. Ask for your name and your email address. I'll send you an email when we're going to do a live stream. Ta-da. End of discussion about that. Uh, we also have our Patreon campaign running. That is at patreon.com slash PCPer. This is your place to go uh, become a regular, recurring, monthly contributor to our T-shirt wardrobe. So I always have multiple available on demand in case the camera settings don't match with the print. Uh, or also to create content and do videos and stuff. So, so how come you don't have a Josh Tech T-shirt? Uh, it would solve all of these problems if one of you had a PC per live and the other a Josh Tech. No one's made us a Josh Tech logo. Nobody, nobody's made us a good enough Josh Tech logo yet. Probably, Anthony. you know, I, the, the the problem is also I would hate myself a little bit more. People have been asking Wait, for uh, that would already? be hard to do. But a little bit you could more. Try. I mean, oh, more. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, a little bit more. There, there's been some demand yeah. for uh, Deathwish raid, and I think one of the other old. Whatever that four different patterns we did. Yeah, that, yeah, one that was our QuakeCon t-shirt. Those yeah. source files are probably way lost. No, I'm, us. I'm quite positive I have them. <laughs> They're in an email somewhere. Um, hot dog down a hallway. Oh, God. That was one. Death yeah, Wish Raid. we did that, didn't we? Sweet, sweet lemonade. And uh, yeah. what was the fourth one? The crazy. The fourth uh, one. Uh, the horse. With the that was lemonade. Sweet, sweet Lemonade. lemonade. What, was the, what, what was, was the fourth one? There was a fourth one. I'm, I'm almost mm-hmm. positive there were four. But uh, I'll, I'll look it up as we as we go through. Anyway, patreon.com slash PCPer. Uh, and anybody who increases their patronage or becomes a patron during the live stream uh, will get a shout out on the show. Oh, yeah. So uh, do that. Uh, the Patreon goes and allows us to do things like uh, the mailbag. So I recorded a mailbag last week. Episode 31, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I just uh, got to show you this, but uh, Anthony, uh, he came through. Came through for us with okay. a T-shirt. Already? What are you going <laughs> to show me? Are you sure? Mentioned this like what are we, what, what two are we minutes doing? ago? Yeah. You put it in the Slack, which you don't the, have on that laptop. Uh, oh, I I, first of all, we don't have HipChat. Second of all, I don't have HipChat and then Yammer, then HipChat. 
and Slack. Yeah. You need to put it in the show notes. Put it at the bottom of the show notes and I'll look at it. Anyway, uh, we, we can do the mailbags and stuff. If you have questions for our mailbag, by the way, you can send them to me on Twitter. You can go to the YouTube page and leave them in a comment there or uh, in the comments section of the website on that post would be beneficial as well. I don't know why I'm going to click this. Please do not show it on the screen <laughs> until I give full approval of this. Um, Probably going to be great. It's going <laughs> to... <laughs> no wonder okay. it was so fast. Yeah. It even has the cursor in the screenshot. <laughs> By the way, that's not my cursor. <laughs> Did it, he didn't spell it right. It's t- t- That's t- the t- joke. Dot gif. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Anyway, uh, all right. There you go. There was... Uh, there's that. Oh, man. So... Let's get to the stuff for the week, if uh, if we don't mind here. Uh, we're going to talk about real quick, maybe not as quick as I thought. Um, Maury's posted a story in the Primo Chill View coolant. We're talking about a coolant review, people. Coolant mm-hmm. that you use to cool components. Now, now, was this on loan from Primo Chill? Do they want it back? Did we do not have a consulting arrangement <laughs> with Primo Chill uh, regarding these products. Okay. I must say. Uh, so Maury did this. It was a write-up looking at the ocular flow coolant. It's the stuff that like looks fancy when it's moving, essentially. I think it's, it's, it looks really good. It's available in a distinct, uh, varied array of colors. Um, it has something called a system reboot. So there's all, here's all these warnings, by the way. They are on the, on the, the front page of the story. So they do exist here. Um, this is we're basically talking about the liquid that you put into a into a uh, custom cooling loop. You know, hopefully you also have some kind of fancy reservoir to look at this because it is pretty looking as it moves. It creates uh, unique visual properties. Uh, Maury was putting this into his system. Um, that's what it looks like. I think it looks neat. How expensive is it? Does somebody anybody remember what the scroll up? Scroll up. Yeah, so oh, twenty five bucks uh, a bottle. So actually, I have no comparison points. For <laughs> How much is distilled water cost by the gallon compared? But I would also say twenty five bucks. If you're building this kind of system, you probably don't really care about the twenty five bucks. Mm-hmm. Biohazard in the chat says that he uses vodka. I appreciate and support that vodka. that mentality as well. So, um, but there are some interesting things here in that. So strengths. Unique visual appeal, uh, random patterns, easy to use after system prep, blah, blah, blah. It has that soapy look to it. Like the Yeah. 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 Uh, but there's, there were some interesting things that, that Ken and Alan were pointing out before we started the show about like, hey, don't use it on Tuesday. Or um, <laughs> doesn't say that. If your machine uh, is good, that's better. I, like what? You said no, something like, about you can't use it with certain. Yeah, it's, it's so in order blocks? to get that effect without uh, a particulate mixed in with the coolant. Yeah, the, the issues with the previous versions are not from this company, I think, but other companies that were making like this effect in the coolant mm-hmm. had to be particles of something floating around in there. That's what made that effect, right? Um, that doesn't sound ideal in a look in a loop. It, well, it's okay in the loop. It's not okay in the microfin style sure, water box that, and stuff yeah. like that, right? So it, it would separate out. It would, you know, precipitate into stuff, and right? Like you know, clog your coolers and stuff like that. It's kind of bad. That sounds right? bad. Yeah. So um, this stuff uh, is somehow achieving that same effect with a volatile type of, like it's more of a chemical 
that's in there okay. somehow doing that without mm-hmm. particles that will clog things, right? Yeah, so in you're fact, not supposed to smoke around your, your computer because it just could self-combust. Well, no, no. I don't think yeah. they say that. However, oh, come on. Uh, because of the chemistry of that, uh, this stuff will, does not mix with aluminum. So if you have any kind of aluminum-like radiator in your system, especially if you have an aluminum water block, which usually is not the case. Don't do that. But anything that's aluminum, uh, don't use that stuff. It's going to try to eat it. That'd be bad. Um, And also, uh, if you previously had other coolant in your system that had dyes in it, anybody that's done that will notice that even after you rinse everything out, like the dyes will kind of, you'll still see some color in like some of your tubing Mm -hmm. and some of your acrylic for like your water blocks and stuff like that. This material will suck that color up. Like, it attaches to dyes. Okay. So if you're not able to completely clean out your system and you switch to this, the first run of it, the color of it might change slightly to what your old dye was. Oh, okay. Yeah, so just something to be aware of. You're supposed right? to use the system reboot fluid from Primo Chill to flush it and then flush it with through, with this oh, okay. water? okay, so they have a fluid that will try to pull the dyes out of everything. Okay, well, that's, that's handy. Otherwise, they say you have to, like, take all your blocks apart and wipe them out, wipe the internals of them out. I don't know how you're going to wipe the internals of your radiator out. It yeah. kind of doesn't. Very carefully. That's not a thing. Um, you need one hell of a pipe cleaner that can yeah. like make turns and stuff. But However, Wait, the biggest stop. caveat. Super Pipe was the fourth t-shirt. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Super Pipe. All oh, right. The Super Pipe was the, guy, was the fourth t-shirt. Anyway, okay. So, uh, Bingo. The, the, <laughs> other, the other thing that is m- more weird that I saw that Ken pointed out that I was just like, no, it can't be. They say you shouldn't be using your system or running your system for more than eight hours a day with this. It will degrade way faster. It's like their words. Significantly uh, accelerate, significantly the, accelerate yeah. the degradation of it uh, if you run your system 24-7. And their guidance is change your coolant out every three to six months. With eight hours a day. With eight hours a day. So if you run it 24-7, you probably like um, one or two months, I would guess. The way that they're kind of – they don't say that, but – that would be my guess, like every couple right. of months. Right, I mean, the fact that they don't say it scales linearly yeah. indicates to me that there's other there's other things at work. Yeah. So if you're Bitcoin I mean, mining, don't use this fluid. <laughs> <laughs> Not compatible with Bitcoin yeah. mining, sorry. They don't mention that, like, the temperature necessarily affect, like, you'd figure just it's a chemical thing that says, they say it's breaking down. Probably the warmer it is, the worse. Got it. But, you know. I would say you probably come to a stable temperature before eight hours. Oh, sure. Sure. Right. It just seems like there's a lot more limits on it than yeah. I'm used to seeing on coolants. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, seems like yeah. a very weird vertical of people who only want to use their computers eight hour a day and have awesome custom loops. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, pe- and people that have a very visual like show systems only. Yeah, they're doing show systems like those, show ponies. Those people are probably swapping some hardware out, you know, six months at the most anyway. They're probably draining and. Maybe. Out the I mean, anyway. yeah, yeah. Right. So it's probably not that big of a deal, but just All right. something to be aware Keep of. Keep that in mind. Uh, before we move on to the next story, we did have our first patron. We have a new patron of $5 from I want a Josh Walworth autograph so badly. Please send me one ASAP. Thank you, Mr. I want a Josh Walworth autograph so badly. Please send me one ASAP. <laughs> I don't know which part you put in your first name or last name, so I just cover all bases. We got a baby. It's a boy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So thank you very much. Uh, Next story, Ryzen 5. We talked about that last week. Um, These are the the 2400G, 2200G. These are the APUs, the CPU-GPU combination parts. Uh, We looked at that. We talked about it last week. 
Ken posted an update story here that looks at memory scaling, uh, in particular for IGP graphics performance, right? So if you look back at the review we did, we only looked at one memory speed. Here we wanted to look at multiple, and Ken tested the the highest performance of the APU, the 2400G, at DDR4 2400, 2933, and 3200 megahertz um, to show how it scales. And as you look at these tests, you will see that it, it scales. does scale. It does, in it's fact, It's like scale. the one time in PC hardware where we have a truly linear <laughs> relationship. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's interesting because this, is, this has kind of always been the case with, with AMD integrated graphics, but not so much with Intel integrated graphics. The you know as you improve the memory speed or increase memory speed of uh, Intel's systems, for example, you don't necessarily see improvements or or drastic improvements like this. Like you know DDR4 2400 runs at 45 frames per second versus the higher speed memory you get up to 52 or over 52 frames per second, yep. right? Um, and that's that's kind of significant, right? You go from 61 to 69 in Civ 6. Right, so these are these are, are are notable differences, and you even, you know, can did a spot check here of single channel, dual channel memory, um, which has been a thing in the past. That but, still matters, yeah. right? And actually, this is an interesting data point as you consider like the Ryzen mobile systems that were announced. Yeah. We, we haven't tested the Lenovo, but the Lenovo one is using single channel yeah. DDR4 memory. So slow you know, DDR4. Look at, at that. Yeah, look at the top there. We're comparing DDR thirty two hundred and uh, single channel dual channel. Like you get a. Fifty percent drop yeah. in performance. More than that, actually. Um, is well, there a way to say even... that back? That is a is that a fifty percent drop? No, it's fifty percent of the roughly. Yeah, performance. Yeah, so I'm trying to think of that. Also, is a fifty percent drop. It's it's hard for me to figure out which one is going which. When you when you when you, when you do anymore. the grammatics of yeah, I know. It's not half the score, but it is. You just see what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a lot. Is the point? It was so, a lot of performance. How do you tell before you order one of those machines? You just have to know that reviewers, <laughs> yeah, like find reviewers a review of it and stuff, and then hope that they didn't change what they're. I mean, well, I mean, it's pretty much like what the platform is built to do. Yeah, so like in the case of that Lenovo sh- machine, it's one dims worth of memory soldered onto the board, whereas yeah. HP and the Acer, I believe, at least have one dim slot. Do you know if anybody's taken apart the Lenovo to see if it? Has a has slot a to add slot. a second channel. I haven't in? seen it. it that would seems be interesting. Impossible that someone hasn't. Yeah, but. that would be an interesting thing to yeah. to really to, to look at. I, I feel like, um, yeah, I don't know. That's um, a pretty significant difference for. Yeah. So the the interesting part about this is that the Radeon the, the Ryzen five twenty four hundred G running with one dim at thirty two hundred is actually slower. Then the Ryzen 3 2200G, the cheaper part by 70 bucks, right? running in dual channel at 2933. So don't save money. Don't cheap out on the RAM. Yeah, Just don't, don't save do money it. on the RAM and, or, or, and or, don't save money on the processor. Wait, what am I trying to say? Mm. Don't cheap Spend out on the RAM. 75% of your budget on the RAM. Yeah. Well, you may not have a choice. Most of the time. Which brings us to the interesting point of the fact that DDR memory in general is so price inflated right now that there's very little price difference between 2400 and 3200 It was about 20 bucks for a 16-gig kit when the I was problem, looking. The problem with these discussions... It was still $180 for 16 yeah. gigs of memory. Yeah. And, and the problem is that changes because when we first started doing our, our Ryzen 5 testing, that difference was not $20. Yeah. Right? It was closer to $60. And, and it may change... 
week to week, even if everything else remains the same, right? Just based on availability and stuff. So, um, it's hard to justify spending $180 on memory for a $160 processor, especially when you're using integrated graphics, right? Um, Because in theory, well, if memory were half that cost, you put that towards a discrete GPU, which is also not MSRP price still. uh, And, you know, it doesn't matter. Everything's all screwed up. So it, it was just interesting to see from a technological standpoint how this memory scales or how the graphics performance scales. One of the things the chat is talking about, and I'm interested in Josh is how feasible would it be for AMD to do a part in this performance category with some HBM? Um, You've got to have a totally different chip design. Sure. Um, You got to have a different memory controller, obviously Uh, you've got to have some kind of arbitrator, to uh, handle main memory requests, and you'd almost have to treat the HBM as a fourth-level cache to do so. So everything eventually would kind of <laughs> run through there. Um, that would be kind of some interesting uh, memory movement, not that it's not unknown just because, you know, standalone graphics cards have their own pool of memory. Uh, but yeah, you would have to have a totally different design. You'd have to have obviously a different substrate. Um, you would maybe license some from Intel or go the full interposer route. Uh, that would be kind of interesting just because nobody's done that with a CPU yet. And we've only done it with GPUs. We've done it with some Z-Link processor, uh, FPGAs. Uh, but I don't think anybody's done it with a, a CPU yet. But yeah, you'd uh, you'd have to uh, figure in there that it would act like an L4 cache, the HBM part. Otherwise, it just kind of yeah gets goofy. But Intel did it successfully, essentially. Yeah, in a similar and, uh, in a similar. Note, I, real quick. I'd be curious what kind of processor uplift CPU wise you would get by integrated mm-hmm. HBM. I mean, the, the the Zen already has some pretty big caches. But who who would be unhappy with a four gig cache just sitting off of it, um, low latency, high bandwidth? That'd be nice. Yeah. Where are you saying? So the original Xbox One did the ES RAM stuff, right? Do we consider that experiment a failure because they moved away from it? Um, I, I mean. I guess kind of like, right? like do you think we ever see in terms AMD of value that? per dollar spent sure. maybe I, I think it's impossible that there wasn't some technological or performance advantage um, but uh, uh, I, I clearly I, I would say okay, can I just again. boot it in here yeah I would say it was a success but <clears throat> later memory architectures and uh, advancements made that kind of moot but the ES RAM, is that what it's called on the Xbox? ED RAM, maybe, I guess. ED RAM. Yeah, I, think I, it was I can't ED remember RAM. which one it was. Uh, it, it, they, they did a lot of really cool things, and it worked really, really, really well. And, uh, yeah, they it was a solid, solid thing. But external memory technology just improved so much that it wasn't worth making that kind of silicon when you can just have GDDR4 
memory that can handle CPU and the GPU portions on a 256-bit bus and just get plenty of bandwidth. Yeah. It's just so disappointing to see these parts ultimately hampered by memory. Right, like, yeah, these GPUs would be theoretically capable of a whole lot more if they had faster. Yeah, and in memory. theory, if they had faster memory, they would build bigger GPUs into them as well. Well, that that's a size constraint. It's right? a, I'm saying again? That, that's a size constraint on the die, right? Well, I mean, sure. But, I mean, if you're designing this part, you there's know what the memory system is going to be, yeah. right? So you understand, well, I, there's no point in me building higher than X you know, stream processors into this design because I know it's going to be memory bottlenecked in 95% of the applications that we use or something like that. So uh, there's, 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 there would be a, some pretty dramatic changes could occur to these APU designs if that memory system changed. Maybe that's something our good friend Raja is thinking about or working on over at Intel. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, real quick, Lee posted a review of the Bit Phoenix. Whisper M, this is an 850-watt power supply um, from BitPhoenix, which is a still, a, I would still consider a relatively new company that, um, now I'm going to say this, and I'm going to hope it's true, formed from the ashes of the A-Bit group of PR and marketing people that I knew. Is that true? I don't know. That's why I just said, that's literally what I said. The words came out of my mouth before that was, I don't know if this is true. <laughs> Uh, I, I believe that's the case, but I, I hope I'm not screwing that up. I'm pretty sure it's Bit Phoenix. Um, but they've obviously been branching out, doing a bunch of stuff. This is an 80 plus gold certified uh, power supply, quad 12 volt rails, and relatively inexpensive with $120 MSRP to go along with that seven year warranty and 850 watt uh, uh, distribution. Um, we'll take a look at the inside. It's always Ken's requirement when we look at power supply reviews. Uh, What's what's the industry standard for power supply warranties now? Is it five or ten years? So I think Seasonic is on the high side with like ten, and um, who was the review we did? Like Silverstone was on the low side with the most recent unit we had with like five. I think I think we every once in a while you know you see cheaper units that have threes, probably. Yeah, three or a five usually gets a negative mention from them though. So yeah. a seven or a ten he's looking for. Yep. Yep. Which is you know that's a significant amount of time for a PC component any kind of PC component to be to be realistic. So there you go, Ken. There's your internals. It looks tidy. It is. It's not it's not a large it's not a large power supply. Uh, I don't know why I keep clicking that way. Uh, let's take a look at what his conclusion was on this before we move on. Very good voltage reg and efficiency and ripple. The weaknesses included uh, cooling fan reliability concerns and the bulky 24 pin ATX connector. You can see oh, it's got yeah, like look a, at that thing. Yeah. Like look at it compared to a PCIe power connector. It's big. Does he take? There isn't a really good picture of it. That's about the best one you got. Okay. If you had one, it's just comparison-wise. That's that's on Earth. Why is it such a? Oh, Um, it's like there's a few cables going into it, and then it's like it's as if it breaks out within the. uh, Yeah, I've seen it with like two cables before, but never that many flat ribbons. If you had one of those EVGA motherboards for 90 so degrees, I, here's what I it would say. Work. That looks like it's easier to <laughs> install as long as you have vertical space above yeah, the board. Yeah. Yeah, and it looks like it's probably easier to remove because you have a bigger piece of plastic on. to, to yeah. hold on to. Yeah, you can to. grab a connector. The problem to. you have is if you're using a space-constrained case or mm-hmm. something or you want to bend it at 90 degrees as 
quickly as possible to, yep. to wrap around behind the, the, the case or something like that. that or would you be have one of the few motherboards that are at 90 degrees. EVGA likes doing that. Yeah. yeah. Or you have an optical drive installed. Hopefully BitPhoenix an op- does not. An optical what now? An optical I'll drive. Huh? I know, right? Uh, I, know. I see all of my drives. I don't understand what optical has to do with it. Josh would normally be talking right now. He must be muted and not know it. No, he's just. You know, I, I just, I just refuse to even engage with you guys <laughs> no. anymore because you're all heathens. Because you, you believe optical is in the past when it's actually our shining future. Oh, okay, good. And it, I was too is. busy hitting the eject tray and mine, just playing with it for a while there. <laughs> well, he wanted a cup holder for his beer. Fair. Uh, a couple of other quick ones to touch on. Uh, a new writer coming on at PC Perk, Christopher Koch. Published a review of the Cherry G80 3494. This is a uh, MX silent keyboard built by Cherry, the company that you mostly know for making the switches. Silent? What's what? MX silent is just a switch type. It came out, I don't know, last year sometime, I guess. Is that right, Ken? Corsair's yeah. had a keyboard out with using MX silent. Yeah, it's basically a year. red switches with O-rings or something. Or blacks with O-rings. Or maybe there's just rubber bushings like built into the switch instead of putting O-rings. They're on black. Them. They're linear. Cherry MX so, yeah. Silent Black. I don't linear. think there are O-rings. I think it's just a linear switch that's designed to be more quiet. Oh, yeah. than the reds. I would think the silent because the key's bottom on like keyboards as well, and that's usually what the well, makes sh- a sound. You shouldn't right? do that. You don't have to bottom out linear. Alan is the most precise home key bound typer I've ever met in my life. <laughs> home row. Home row. What did I say? Home key. Home row. Did Tyrannosaurus Rexes type with home row? Yeah, they do. Because that's how I type. Um, check out this review. It's it's apparently like, well, as he says, first impressions of the G80 are underwhelming. It's fairly big. It's very plasticky. Um, not a lot of adjustment capability. It very much kind of has a style of an old school keyboard. Maybe some of you guys will like that. Um, but it, it's it's much taller, wider than it needs to be to get uh, to get the point across. I guess. Um, you could smack someone with that keyboard. And it's also not exactly cheap. So it's $150 price range, you know, but he says there are simply better made, more capable options out there as long as you can live without the unique benefits of the black, silent black switch. So keep I'm that sure, in mind. I'm sure the do. black switches will eventually make their way into. Like I said, stuff. I think Corsair makes an MX silent. I think. Maybe not. Uh, but Christopher also posted a review of the Logitech MX Master 2S. Uh, I believe this is the mouse that's being used by Jim in the back. Is that correct, Jim? Do you use the master? Yeah. <laughs> One of his many, many mice. One of his many mice. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is the follow-up to the, the first MX Master as well, which I think I you used, used for a long Gen time, one. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I was always jealous because he stole it from us first, and I never actually got to use it. But uh, now th- this product, uh, Chris came away much more impressed about. It's a $99 wireless plus Bluetooth mouse um 200 to 4000 dpi i mean it, it has a dongle that's high speed low latency but then the bluetooth, but you can do bluetooth as well but you take a side you take a hit on latency yeah sure right? yeah. you always do yeah. you so, do. Well, so, so there's, there's just a button on the bottom of the mouse that you can switch between the rf and two bluetooth paired devices Wait. right some a lot of logitech stuff recently has been doing that um up to 70 days on a single charge of the battery. That's pretty good. Uh, seven buttons. It's got the gesture buttons. Um, that is pretty good for charge. Yeah. How long, how long has your charge been lasting, Jim? 
three weeks, and I use it all day long. Yeah, yeah. The, I, it's it's one of those things where um, it's long enough that you lose the charger cable, like you don't have it conveniently <laughs> placed anymore. Oh crap! Right? Where'd I put I, it? I had to install the software to get the notification because I never look at the LED on the mouse. Yeah, the LED is kind and of I'll small. Be like, oh, and my mouse is dead. Easily yeah. not noticed. Um, but it's got a thumb scroll wheel in addition to the uh, center button scroll wheel, which oh. is which is interesting. Uh, obviously, you know, not not tar- you can use it for gaming, but it's not targeted for gaming. It's targeted for professional users, people using creative apps, and you know, can take advantage of some of that extra capability. Does this also have the software that lets you control multiple machines? Yeah. Right. Right. I think they've added that to that. Yeah. Yeah, he, he Logitech Options and uh, Logitech Flow is what that's called, mm-hmm. right? So it allows you to uh, essentially use one mouse and one keyboard to control multiple computers as long as you have the Logitech software installed, which is actually pretty convenient. And not, maybe not a huge install base of users that want that capability, but... Uh, it's handy for those that need it. It, it, is, it is super handy. If you have like a laptop that sits on your desk as yeah. well as a desktop, yeah. it's convenient. It's not a cheap mouse at 100 bucks. This is best to justify that cost with a number of extra features, firmly targeted, professional, and creative audiences. So if you're interested in the uh, Logitech MX Master 2S, check out that review. All right. Uh, that's it for our, our, our main story. Let's get into some of the news items that cropped up. There's a lot from Qualcomm. It's Mobile, Mobile World Congress starts next week. Mm-hmm. But apparently everybody said, nah, F all that. Uh, we're going to do all of our launches in news items earlier. I think I had an email this morning that had like nine Qualcomm press releases in it. It's like what happens at CES sometimes. <sighs> yeah. People start launching stuff before yeah. the actual show starts. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the first one, the first story we're going to touch on is the, the Qualcomm um, always connected PC updates. So the this is the something we've talked about many times in the podcast. This is the these are Windows 10 machines powered by Snapdragon processors that have gigabit class LTE modems built into all of them. Um, and they, w- there's been a, a significantly maybe longer than expected run up to these being on, on sale. They're going to be on sale by the end of March. I've been told assuredly at this point, uh, and you know many regions across the world. But this announcement is basically like, hey, here's the retailers that are going to carry them, and here's the carriers that will support them. In the U.S., all four of the majors, all four, you know, AT and T, Verizon, T-Mobile, Sprint, they will all support this. But nobody has detailed yet what the cost is, like what the right. data plan package is. They've all said we're going to allow these devices under networks. Duh. Does this always connected thing just mean that it has a SIM and a cell radio, or does it do anything like when it's in standby or something? So they always, they've, Qualcomm kind of goes back and forth. It's actually always on, always connected PC is kind of, the, I think, the actual brand they're going to go with. The always on part is more important, not more important, but it's more impactful on, on the differences between what Snapdragon platform says it can do and what an Intel platform says it can do right. than the always connected. <clears throat> because, yes, always connected kind of indicates that you've got an LTE modem, so you don't have to be looking for Wi-Fi hotspots. But always connected also means that when your PC is – when your laptop is closed, mm-hmm. it's still connected to the network. And it's still receiving data and push notifications and things like, like a phone. Like a phone would do. Yeah. When your phone screen is off, it's yeah. still connected. And Windows 10 and has when you open some... it up, your email is synced. And yes, Windows has has slowly integrated features to support that. Okay, but the problem is, is the Intel platforms don't really have the technical capability to do it as low power as the Snapdragon parts. Makes sense. Thus, 
you know, Qualcomm's push for this. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically carriers in China, UK, you know, other, other areas in Europe, um, and then the four majors here. It's going to be sold at uh, Microsoft stores. All three, like the Lenovo, the HP, and the Asus machine are going to be sold at Microsoft stores and at Amazon, right? Um, with apparently a very specifically built landing portal page on Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. Omitted Can't walk from into that, a Best Buy? Huh? Can't walk into a Best he, Buy? They're not going to sell them at Best Buy, which mm-hmm. I find very I'm, confusing. That's rough. Right? Um, it's... It's one of those things where, on on one hand, you sh- you don't really need it because you go into Best Buy because you're forced to, uh, but you go into Best Buy because you want to like get your hands on something you haven't seen before. Yeah, and in reality, these form factors are not uniquely different. There's a detachable, two detachables, and a convertible two in one. Right, it looks just like the regular ones. Then, yeah, basically. I mean, they, they they're you know the potential of thinner, lighter, whatever is there, mm-hmm. but um, in general. You, you're, it's kind of a well-understood thing. So what you're really trying to convince somebody is, do you care about the LTE connectivity? Do you care about extended battery life? Do you care about the always-on stuff? Uh, and you're not going to get that by walking into a Best Buy. That being said, having more places where people can go, Best Buy is a national chain. They obviously would want to be in there. Best Buy just didn't, didn't do it for some reason. Mm-hmm. Being in the, in the Microsoft stores is a good thing for them because it's kind of like, you know, despite the smaller... Uh, uh, I guess addressable market with the Microsoft stores because there aren't as many of them. No, um, it's where you know Microsoft promotes their what they consider the flagship devices of the mm-hmm. Windows platform. So, uh, like I said, Verizon, AT and T, T Mobile, Sprint. Um, I guess I won't. I won't say. I've heard uh, one of these carriers is doing like a really impressive. Who's what is? What does that sound? Oh, oh, you're tearing paper, weren't you? Got it. Velcro. No, Velcro. <laughs> thought maybe my chair was falling apart. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, the, the one of these carriers is actually going to do something like two free months of data or something when you, when you buy the device. Wasn't and there something announced like that? I don't know. I can't be sure what, no. what is public and what's not, so I'm not going to go into more detail. But they're, they're coming in, for sale by end of March. So if this is something you've been, you've been waiting for, I know I have been waiting a long time for this to actually occur. Sooner rather than later. Uh, there was, to go along with that, a sub-story. Apparently, Microsoft posted a troubleshooting page on their website, but then removed the same day or the next day a limitations of Windows on ARM list, essentially. That might be good to know. What are the things that are, That's that fake are limited? news. There's no limitations now. Oh, no. okay. Got it. So they took it down. Uh, luckily, exactly. uh, Therat.com listed all of them out anyway and, uh, and is, keeping that, ugh, is keeping that story up. All right. Um, 64-bit apps won't work. That's okay. something we knew. That, well, I don't think that anybody was very explicit about it, but they very clearly were talking about 32-bit App emulation. Apps don't work. Uh, 64-bit uh, x86 applications correct. will not work. Correct. Yes, yes, yes. 64-bit yes. ARM applications from the store will work. Uh, I, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. Yes. I believe that's the it, case. it will do the emulation for 32-bit x86 apps, but it's not doing the emulation, the translation for the 64-bit. But then will not translate x86 drivers. Does that mean it will translate x64 drivers? No. No. No, it can't do – so um, – so how do you print from this laptop? Uh, Printing's well, dead, man. Well, you don't need a print button. Drivers that are supplied by Microsoft uh-huh. 
will have been converted over. Oh, I understand. Yeah. But I don't know that Microsoft has like. Yeah, that HP universal driver ain't going to work. How do you know that Microsoft has whatever your random Canon printer or whatever like has that? I don't know. I don't know yet. Yeah, right? You just use printer sharing from your Windows 10 desktop. That oh. might not still work. Because a, a copy of the driver goes to the other machine. Just use Chrome remote printing on your Windows 10 desktop. Uh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Uh, they talk about certain classes of apps not working, um, things that modify the Windows user interface, shell extensions, uh, anything that uses a kernel mode driver yeah. won't work. Again, like uh, uh, applications that install kernel mode drivers along with the, with the application. So in, in particular, like benchmarks that a lot of people run, PCMark, SysMark. I don't think those those install things, they install a kernel mode. They do? They do. Yeah, they really? install kernel mode drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, no Hyper-V support. Uh, so no virtualization on your Windows 10 on ARM platforms. Mm-hmm. And then older games and graphics aren't supported. They say, uh, while Windows 10 on ARM supports DX9, 10, 11, and 12, apparently it does not support OpenGL acceleration at this point. Really? Okay. Yeah. Huh. Which is interesting because OpenGL acceleration has been part of Android since forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they um, just need to port something It over, sounds right? to me like just a driver, again, from Microsoft or from Qualcomm in this case may need to be converted over. Um, it's a lot of work to get a, another an operating system running on another On a completely different yeah, architectural platform. Yeah. Now, it's interesting to me that they took this information down, indicative, indicative of either something was wrong on it or... Qualcomm just didn't find it out yet, right? But, I mean, at this point, every other bit of information has kind of been released. This is going to come out eventually. Mm -hmm. Let it come out. Let those who care about that come out. And then now we can start to have discussion about things like printers, which, you know, I hadn't thought of before. Yeah. Um, Like, that's that's kind of a common thing. I probably print more than most people that exist in the world still. Fax. Do you fax? No. Good. No. Or scan. No, I got you beat. I do scan. You know, like all-in-one scanner, printer, driver thing. Like, you know, kind of important. I mean, not really. To work. I mean, I guess. I Like, I sign, I sign almost all the documents through Adobe PD, like Adobe Reader now. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's very rare when somebody asks me specifically to print, sign, and scan anymore. Thankfully, because even if you have a regular version of Windows and an Intel or AMD processor, that process still blows. Well, I mean, I usually sign stuff electronic, too, but, like, there's plenty of occasions where, you know, title for a car or something, I want to keep a copy of it, use a scanner. Like, you know, just take a picture of your phone, bro. I guess you could just take pictures now. I don't know. (laughs) That's why Kinko's exists. What? It's the only reason Kinko's exists. I already have an all-in-one prayer. Let's talk about the Raven Ridge processor again, this time naked. Naked? The processor, not me. Ah, Der Bauer does uh, it again. Why was this an interesting story, Ken? It's the first Ryzen part that used Tim instead of solder. Mm. And this is just proving that? It does, in fact, use a thermal interface material? Well, and of course, he put some liquid metal on there instead. Oh, okay. Come and on, did, and it made things better. Still. Yeah, so he, he did some tests at sock clocks and overclocks. A pretty healthy, yeah, healthy game there. Now, so, whether or not you want to go through this with your $150 APU. Yeah. Well, I guess hundred than my $1,000 Now, in these benchmarks that I'm looking at, it says D-lid. Is it D-lidded and then soldered and 
relitted? No, uh, not liquid soldered, metal. but it's liquid metal and relitted. Okay, but yeah. it's relitted. Yeah. It's not just a bare Absolutely. part. Uh, yeah, okay. no, no. Okay, but he only got like a twenty-five megahertz better overclock over. So even though the temperatures went down pretty dramatically, yeah, it didn't. It didn't help him get some huge, you know, extra gains above what he already was getting. Worth noting, I guess, at this point, that AMD has now confirmed that the Zen Plus processors, the twelve nanometer parts that are coming out in April, I think. Um, will be using solder again, right? Not a thermal interface material. Okay. Uh, because I guess people people were wondering if this was the beginning of the trend where AMD reverts back to to the Tim as Intel did. Uh, AMD came out and said that that's not the case. So they're just doing it as a cost saving measure uh, for their their APUs. I, I really yeah, obviously obviously there's no reason to go solder. On this, I mean, yeah, Pretty you'll clear. get a little lower temperatures, but you're not affecting the clock or real TDPs. Yeah, and I, I want somebody to tell me what the cost difference is. What is the cost difference? No one's ever been able to answer that. Is you, it can't, 80 you can't cents? get it out of anyone. Is it eight dollars? I th- you got to think that it's not so much the cost of the material, but the cost to actually get the solder on there, as compared to just slapping a tim. Yeah. Like the and process of putting it down. It yeah, you have okay. to have everything heated at the time that you're doing it. You have to yeah. make sure it flows properly. And you got to have it heated in such a place that you're not going to remove the actual dye <laughs> from the substrate. <laughs> yeah. Or remove all of those surface mount resistors and capacitors around the processor. Yeah, that the- too. Yeah. It's probably a tricky thing to pull off assembly wise. Hmm. Probably adds to your like failure rates once you test the processor after everything was said and done, since you just kind of heated the whole thing back up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, next on the list, there are some rumors about AMD's AMD Epic 7 nanometer iteration. Josh, did you have a chance to read any of this or any thoughts on what potentially is them doubling the core count on these next processor designs? Well, I mean, it, it makes sense. It's a significant You've got increase. got all this extra space. We're going from a 14 nanometer process to a 7 nanometer. It's not exactly, you know, half the the size, but no. it's still going to be a pretty significant jump in uh, transistor density. And so, yeah, I mean, it makes sense to take up and put as many cores in as, as possible, especially when we're getting to an area where compute power is, is still king. Everybody thought that things would kind of slow down, but no. People keep putting out applications and things on the web and IoT crap and really complex simulations, stuff like that that needs CPU power. So, yes, 7 nanometer is going to give you the choice chance to do all that. It is interesting that according to this WCCF uh, leak story, whatever you want to call it, um, rumor – that, they're, that AMD may be making two different dyes for this product line, as opposed to what they did with Zeppelin, which was they made one product die that went across Epic, Threadripper, Ryzen, 753, et cetera, that they may make one design that has 12 cores per die and one that has 16 cores per die, allowing them to make a, you know, a four-die, 48-core part, a four-die, 64-core part. gives them a little bit more flexibility in terms of how they um, – you know, productized down the rest of the stack as well. But it also takes away, well, AMD talked 
extensively about the advantages that they came across by deciding to go with a single die implementation. They saved a lot on development. They saved a lot on production, um, validation, all these things that take a lot of time and can potentially you know, hinder a product release schedule. Um, if this is true, at least, looks like they are, are stepping away from that. Maybe it's that they have more confidence in the architecture at this point. Um, Keep in mind that this is Zen 2, not Zen Plus. So this is this is an actual new architecture, not just a a respin. Um, so yeah, I, you know it's it's interesting. If I, I hope this is true, because while I think there are many many potential problems with threading, and we don't have enough software that really utilizes multi-threading completely, and mm-hmm. we saw the complications about AMD's implementation and the uh, CCX and memory latency and all this other type of stuff that comes into play. Um, you know, I was you know I was kind of hoping you'd see more monolithic die, but from a cost structure, maybe not a, a usable thing. Yep. But if you have one die that can do 16 cores, essentially for the Ryzen 7 part, you know, 4,800 or whatever they're going to call it, uh, that might be 16 cores, 32 threads for 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. And that sounds pretty great. It does. If that's the case. Any other thoughts, anybody, on the, on this? Again, still very rumored for 2019, so don't get overly excited. But there you go. Too so, late. I'm, I'm overly excited. AMD is uh, uh, foot on the gas, apparently. So, so as an aside on this, I think it came up in the comments, maybe here in the article and also on the web chat. I think it was just in the article. Um, has there been any substantiation to the rumors that they're thinking of moving to a six or eight core CCX in their architectures moving forward? Six or eight core per CCX instead of four. Oh, yeah. okay. I don't know. I have not seen anything like that. Uh, to be fair. But it doesn't mean I heard it's a not rumor possible. about a six-core CCX, and uh, you know that, that would kind of make sense yeah. in ways. I mean, you're going to increase your 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 core count. Um, you're going to in, in certain workloads, you're going to decrease uh, you know overall latencies because you're not communicating in between CCXs nearly as much because you got two more cores, just real local, mm, right? It would be an easy way to scale things. Well, relatively easy way to scale things up. <laughs> yep. We'll find out, my guess is, uh, CES 2019. Put it on your calendars. I don't know if that's the case. Uh, let's talk to Josh real quick now about something really easy to understand and really easy to understand its implications <laughs> for the market, which is uh, ARM introducing the Ka- Kaijin. Keegan? Keegan? Did nobody ever Keegan. say this out loud at your meetings? Yeah, I believe they did. Keegan. <laughs> Keegan OS for cellular IoT and this idea of an no, iSIM. It's not Kegel OS. No, it's man. Totally di- it's not a totally yet. different exercise. Man. Mm-hmm. All right. So do you want me to talk about it? Yeah, what, what are we looking at here? This is uh, oh. you know, a trillion devices or some something like that. Yeah, so last year, uh, ARM went on kind of a shopping spree. And they bought up quite a few companies. And one of them was this little company for 12 million pounds called Simulity Labs. They specialized in next generation sim design and implementation. But, I mean, they really didn't have any products out there. 
but still they're worth enough to buy for $12 million. And, and, you know, the, over the past couple of years, arm has really pushed for security. So they had the trust zone, uh, yep. you know, been going on for a while. And then last year they introduced the, uh, the PSA, which is what, uh, platform security architecture. And, uh, it's all, was kind of leading up to this. I mean, you know, PSA is, is going to be across multiple lines, but there's simulity, simulity thing. Uh, it was all about cellular networks. And so they have multiple areas. I'm sorry for my child yelling in the background, right. but he gets very excited and dogs like to bark in the backyard. But anyway, it's multiple areas. Uh, one is, is, I don't hear. I don't. I don't. I don't hear much behind you. So it was. It was lots of banging. It was a door getting closed multiple times and yelling and screaming and, you know, it's 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 a Wednesday night at the Walworth house. <laughs> it's a Wednesday night at most houses. Let's be fair. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, so the first thing is is they're developing a thing called iSIM. Now we've recently heard about eSIM, which is a much smaller SIM uh, that can be soldered onto a board. Doesn't take much space. It's it's a it's a tiny thing, mm-hmm. uh, but this is even smaller. It's an iSIM, and it actually is on the SOC die. So they didn't tell us how easily these are to reprogram. Uh, if it's just you know one flash and it's there forever, they didn't go into any real details. But iSIM does not require you then to have an external SIM. It's it's sitting on the chip now. They put this iSIM on a really small SOC, so it's it's made up of a small ARM core, and it's also made up of a modem. And so they're thinking that this is one of the first real good steps in a secure IoT environment. Now, we've had you know webcams that have been compromised, other IoT products that people have hacked. Uh, you know, they're sending out non-encrypted streams. Things that just, you know, password is admin, admin, can't change it. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's some really wonderful things with IoT. And and they believe that the future of IoT is to leverage existing cellular networks and do it cost effectively through this ISIM technology, their PSA technology, which there's multiple levels of that. In yeah, that yeah, it's protected right. firmware, it's a protected OS, and inside the iSIM is the ARM Keegan OS. Now it's it's a SIM OS stack. It communicates with the network. It it sends provisioning requests to the servers. The ARM Keegan server solutions then get that information. They see that it is from a you know a SIM that is with a product. So it's it's a point of origination that they know of and that's where a lot of the basis of the security comes from got it so it's able to connect over existing cellular networks as long as i guess you have a plan or do whatever they didn't really go into that but they have scaled this up so in theory i mean it can handle billions of iot devices all using that's a um, lot What's that? That's a lot. It is. And, uh, you know, it's it's a good idea because they're they're wrapping this all up into one thing. 
it looks pretty secure on paper. I mean, obviously, once it gets into sure. the wild, we'll see if if there are issues there. But so far, Arm has had a pretty good handle on security, and uh, this could this could mean a whole lot of money for the company. It could mean a much more secure IoT space for consumers. Um, it's an easier way for manufacturers to roll out IoT packages, actually leveraging cellular technology and so it's 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 a pretty it's a pretty big deal they're really one of the first people out here that have a comprehensive solution not only on the product side but on the server side that can leverage existing cellular networks which are now essentially everywhere yeah uh, to be able to do iot so you have a nest thing and you sign a contract with Verizon and it only takes up a little bit of your data every year but it's constantly connected hmm. and yeah, it's secure I just supposedly I mean arm getting into it is a good sign but only in the sense that you can't make the internet of things any more insecure than it already bloody is it's it's just a ridiculous cesspool of unsecured stuff like Josh had mentioned up to and including hard-coded passwords that you just can't do. But the other thing, the two things I think about that, well, apart from the fact that how in the hell am I supposed to read the ICC ID off of a SIM that's not even a millimeter in size, uh, is we're now adding another level of insecurity to this by strapping it into the cell network, which is inherently insecure in and of itself. So now you don't just have to worry about the Wi-Fi exploits getting in or uh, coming in through your ISP. You're blanketed in a ubiquitous signal that you can't bloody well get away from that hopefully, you know, you're a yeah. little bit hardened against. But at the same time, your your vectors of attack are just everywhere now. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, but it is an inevitable shift. True. That, that needs to be addressed by you know uh, reasonable hardware software solutions um i think that it's not it's not an unsolvable problem it doesn't mean it has been solved yet or that this is the all-encompassing solution um <clears throat> but well, the other I, question I, is going to be what are the updates like because that's the other giant uh hole in internet of things is yeah. people will put something out and a year later, it's discontinued. It's unsupported. There's no more security updates being pushed out, but people don't throw out their internet-connected doorbell every year. It, it's just not a thing you do. Well, not yet. And, and, and you're right. Also, it's up, be. updating and security updates are, are another area. And that's why I think in this story that Josh talks about, there is uh, like a management and provisioning server mm-hmm. solution for some of that. That it, if, if not updating firmware and those types of things, might be able to t- disable some of those devices from uh, communicating over that network if they are deemed to be vulnerable or compromised. So that would be nice. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Uh, let's talk quickly about another Qualcomm uh, thing that occurred. Looks like we sprinkled it in here. This was true wireless. Sebastian wrote this up. Uh, this is an extension on the stuff that they announced at CES in January which is basically an updated Bluetooth controller, the QCC5100 Bluetooth SoC um, for headbud or headbuds, <laughs> headphones, earbuds, whatever you want to call it, guys, headbuds. That's a good one. Um, so basically this is updates there for support quality. Uh, it talks about the combination of this new SoC with the Snapdragon 845 offering improved battery life. Um, 
Thanks to the enhancements of power consumption, the combination of lower latency and better pairing experiences with these independent earbuds, um, otherwise known as the crosshead Bluetooth transmission. I like that. Common method of a single earbud connection. So there you go. True wireless stereo versus true wireless stereo plus. So whether or not the device sends the signal to one earbud and the earbud is responsible for. Uh, okay. So I can see which one would save battery life there by sending it direct to the device. Yeah, if your earbud isn't having to receive and transmit at the same time, yeah. probably Big battery life saving. So that's part of the QC5100. Also part of this is uh, Qualcomm's broadcast audio technology, which is essentially a one-to-many broadcasting single audio stream to multiple devices with perfect sync. So think of this being useful for areas where either you're watching movies with friends or family or larger um, commercial implementations where – Maybe you have a, a VR system or you have something else and you want to use Bluetooth audio for that, you know, performance or something like that. Useful for that as well. So those are some of their updates to the Qualcomm uh, uh, audio solutions. So, yeah, their broadcast audio examples include multiple speakers in a small room, right? How else will you have your silent disco? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Everybody has their headphones on, synced to the correct music, dancing in perfect time. Yeah. Between outsider, nothing. This is like our VR nightmare as part of that as well. Yeah. A group of friends can listen to music on the stream time and then a guide can speak to their phone and voice relayed via broadcast audio. So in terms of like group tours and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So interesting use cases there. Um, I guess I should have put these in the, in the, in a different order, but we'll talk about the AMD embedded processors. Now and then we'll get to the Qualcomm 845 mobile. Have a break in between the Qualcomm stories. Yeah. I mean, everybody needs a little rest. Seems understandable. Um, <laughs> Sebastian says in the chat that uh, he has excited opportunities for me in the emerging headbud industry. Hashtag headbuds. So I think that's going to be our future. Um, so AMD made some announcements that probably don't normally get a lot of attention here. Uh, embedded processors space. When you think of embedded processors, you might think of things that go in smartwatches or things that maybe are in your in your TV, and that's definitely the case. Uh, those exist. What also can exist is the idea of using higher performance embedded parts that um, power everything from everything from the uh, casino gaming machines that Josh is so fond of when we go to CES with their mini high-resolution displays and ring-a-ding-ding sounds. Konami has to do something these days. That's true. Yep. Uh, but also goes into medical imaging devices, uh, uh, those types of those types of things, and then <clears throat> the headrest on the seat in front of you in the airplane. Correct. Yes, these are all things where uh, embedded parts are used. So AMD basically announced the Epic Embedded and the Ryzen Embedded platforms. The Epic Embedded 3000, the Ryzen Embedded V1000. Uh, I don't know why one has a V and one doesn't, but that's what you get. Um, and this this graphic kind of gives you an idea of what kind of markets these are targeting. Military, aerospace, casino gaming, thin client, um, the medical imaging, IoT gateway, industrial machine vision. Those are kind of targeting the Ryzen part that have integrated graphics. And then if you look at the ones that are just teal, things like networking and storage, uh, routers, edge compute, these are the ones that are just need high-performance computing. Those are the ones that get epic, right, where it has higher core counts but no integrated graphics in it. It's kind of interesting to talk about, like uh, – this is a $15 billion market for them that they've already had a lot of success in. Um, they, you know, they're for a long time, they've been the ones with the high performance graphics compared to Intel. 
uh, and spaces that need higher performance computing in general. Um, they plan to improve on that pretty dramatically. Uh, I went when I was over in London two weeks ago. This was it was for the embedded event. Got to see some of these machines running. It was just after. Im- it was just before Embedded World, but there was some other conference that was over there previously about Embedded and, and the discussion about, okay, if, I'm a, if I make casino games, I can now take a discrete Intel CPU with – or I'm sorry, an Intel CPU with a discrete GPU mm-hmm. and size that down into an embedded V1000 Ryzen part. It has support for four 4K displays, um, two 10 gigabit Ethernet connectivity. And then wattages from 12 to 54 Wait, watts. You said Intel CPU or AMD CPU? If I said Intel, I meant AMD. An, okay. a, an a, APU, an AMD APU go. in this regard the, with, the, with the V1000. And you can see some of the specifications here. They're similar to what we see with the Ryzen APUs already, but they're a little bit different. TDPs are, are modified. Uh, the L3 cache is minimized. Um, uh, they have integrated dual 10 gigabit Ethernet ports. Which Ooh. is interesting, yeah. Okay, yeah. And actually, if you look at the Epic three thousand series, um, you know, up to sixteen cores. So a single, these are single, uh, or no, these. Uh, if it's up to sixteen cores, it must be two die, right? Yeah. Um, four memory channels, sixty four lanes, PCA eight, ten gigabit Ethernet I/O embedded, eight ten gig. Yeah, that's more than the Xeon D, which is four, I believe. I th- uh, yes, you are correct. Is it meant to be like just a low power sort of embedded. So this thing? would be something that powers a ten gig switch. Oh, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. In, in these conversations I had with them, I was like, "Are these new? Is this new silicon? Right? Uh, or are these existing? Are these the same die? Right? My understanding was that uh, you know all Zeppelin die were the same. And he said it was actually yes. Every Zeppelin die has the capability to have this. These just these are features that aren't exposed hmm. to consumer or enterprise segments of products that we so designed all in those guys for with, embedded. With Ryzen X eighteen hundred, have have eight sleeping ten G ports. Well, nestled. The, in uh, their core. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. they would have four, right? Because I think oh, that's, that's up true. to. Uh, up to eight gigs, so it's four still, per four per die. Four nice that was exposed. They have to have your own phi and everything, you know, sure. on on the board. Oh, but yeah, that's that's been on the schematics ever since they were leaked when Zen was just a rumor. Yeah. Okay. So, but it's interesting because I mean that's never anything that was really brought up before. But again, it goes after that embedded space. It's for okay, I want to have a, a a storage array, and I want to use ten two ten gigabit Ethernet connections mm-hmm. that they're already built into the chip. Boom! Put your phi down. Run the yeah, port, yeah, yeah. kind of done. I want to make an eight port switch, high performance switch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All that's kind of built into it, right? Um, so it's it's an interesting play for them because the in this the V one thousand addresses a market that they've already been very active in. The Epic three thousand series uh, of embedded parts is getting them into spaces they haven't really been in before. Edge compute, which is this term that I have been struggling to try to define in several things I've been writing recently. Edge compute is the idea that taking processing power from a data center and instead putting it as close to the consumer or the customer as possible. So uh, think, as we talked about 5G earlier, the rollout to 5G is kind of pushing a lot of this stuff forward because as you have more of these really very secure IoT devices that Jeremy is concerned about, all communicating at the same time 
over a cellular network. Mm -hmm. um, you may need additional – you will need additional compute capability, storage capability, analytics capability close to the edge, right? Like by that cell tower essentially, oh, either at okay. the cell tower or beyond, right? Or in like region-specific Last nodes. week with the uh, ARM machine learning stuff in yeah. your phone, that's an example of edge computing. It's – yeah, doesn't need to go to a central location. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So the as that buildup of what you know, there, there's consumer edge computing, which is like the phone and your laptop mm -hmm. type of thing, and then there's probably more like these types of embedded edge computing, which is uh, how do we distribute computing out to as many places as possible so that latencies are reduced and compute capability is increased to all these devices. And you know that's what Intel Xeon D line is supposed to target. That's what this Epic 3000 series is supposed to target. And for AMD, they haven't really had a part that's competed in this space until now. Mm -hmm. So of that 15 billion total market, I think that I put in there 11 to 12 of that was this edge compute networking storage systems that they'll now have access uh, uh, to targeting with it. So... Should yeah, we just got our hands on some new Cisco equipment at work, and my networking guy wouldn't let me tear it apart to see what was powering it. There mm -hmm. is some Cisco gear that has AMD in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there, there always has been. It's just for a while, yeah. not necessarily their highest end stuff, or Correct. it wasn't consistent across the lineup. You wouldn't know what was inside of it. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So that's interesting. Like I said, not not really like a consumer story necessarily. It's it was always interesting to me to walk around these casinos, and some of them have very robust like animations and graphics and multiple displays. And they were giving me examples of you know why a casino machine would have four displays. That the pad that you're interacting with is is one display. You got mm -hmm. this display, and you got two big ones up top. Um, I think also when we talk about features that exist but aren't exposed. Can a can a Ryzen APU do four 4K displays? I don't think it can. I don't know for sure. I don't, I don't think, think so. it can. I think that's something that is exposed only for the embedded side of it as well. So interesting, interesting to see. All right, last story. Qualcomm announces uh, essentially an upgrade to their mobile VR reference platform. This time using the Snapdragon 845. Uh, previously on the 835, which obviously makes sense. Um, newer, faster, better GPU. You can, if you go back and look at Sebastian's uh, performance preview of our uh, of 845 that we did last week or so. Last yeah. week, I think. Yeah. Um, 30% faster GPU, 30% faster CPU in some cases. Obviously, you want that in the edge cases where you uh, are creating a dedicated gaming hardware device from it um so that's what this is it's still a prototype no announcements i don't think of any particular devices based on it um but if you look at the partnerships that qualcomm has engaged in up to now what do they have they have an oculus they lenovo. have an htc they have a lenovo um i would expect we'll see upgrades across the board for a lot of these a lot of these types of systems moving forward i like the whole no wires thing uh yeah kind of is I'm happy to sacrifice a bit of performance for that. Yeah, it's I mean it's inside out tracking. You know, six DOF, which means it's it's using front facing cameras to measure the spaces around you as you move around, and so it's not using outside in tracking where there's cameras or we can go to the discussion of whether or not the Rift or Vive is inside out or outside in, whatever. Uh, but um, it you know I I've, I did a demo of uh, a forty five based unit when I was out in San Diego last and. It works really well. 
the content is still, you know, drastically important. I'm trying to remember what we even, yeah, it was kind of like walk around a walk around a spaceship, essentially shoot aliens with a laser gun. Typical VR, VR demonstration, <laughs> yeah, of of stuff. Uh, also, I will I will I will fully admit that this headset is entirely uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and every time I've ever worn one of these reference units, there's like I don't know if I have a badly misshapen nose, but it's it rests on the bridge like with a sharp piece of edge of plastic rather than foam. I don't know. Nobody else seems to ever complain about it, so I don't know if I'm wearing it wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably, probably. Yeah. Somebody else puts it on me. I don't. No, not doing it, but mm-hmm. anyway, so that uh, that rounds up the Qualcomm episode, uh, the Qualcomm week of stuff. Let's get into uh, our hardware software picks of the week, he says, as he quickly goes back to the show notes so he can click on all the links that people have put in there. And Jeremy always gives me two links as well. One's <laughs> to us, one's to the Gosh, purchase. Just, all right. All right. So here is uh, my pick. This is something we go through it more than most. Um, but, uh, we needed to buy thermal compound. No, I know. I know. We install and uninstall and clean and throw away a lot of thermal compound as it comes. And despite the fact that we've bought a lot of coolers, uh, and we just, you know, use the tubes that come with that fairly often. How many rounds of mini cleaner stuff are we on? Is the issue. Say again. They come with mini tubes is the issue. Yeah, they do. They do. Uh, and what, what would you say? How many rounds of that? Uh, what's that cleaner stuff that comes with the two bottles? Forgot the name of it. Arctic Silver? No, the cleaner. Arctic Clean. Arctic Clean. I never use that. No. You, you, you don't. just use alcohol wipes? Yeah. Yeah, we yeah. don't leave it on long enough to need that. That's yeah. true. Uh, so we just bought this Noctua NTH1 Thermal Compound. It's five ninety five for a uh, 1.4 ml slash at least 15 application quantity storage time up to two years. No, no, no risk for us there. Um, I believe this is the same stuff they ship with their coolers. It is. Right? And we've had good success with that. Yep, it is. Um, and I think the last time Is it time compatible bought, with Primo Chill? <laughs> yeah, I, don't I, don't know. Know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will point out the thing that Ken really appreciated on this, right? So, we, we, you know, we bought a three-pack of this or something like that. So, you know, 18 bucks. But look at the back of this. Look at, like, the stock photo they have. <laughs> like, chilling in an office. <laughs> Hey, artificially red-haired lady, how do you like thermal paste applied? My favorite way is the dot in the middle and the X across it. It's with the Lilu Dallas hair. I don't know. I don't know. But hey, there you go. Uh, I'm no, I'm no thermal compound uh, expert, and I've never tried peanut butter. But this stuff works really well, and it seems <laughs> to be inexpensive. There was a time. Uh, oh, funny story. When I was out of town on a, I was on a golf trip, with my family, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I was testing a product, mm-hmm. and I forgot to bring thermal paste. Mm-hmm. I brought the system with me and had a processor installed. I had to swap the processor. I see where this is going already. Uh, and I did not have thermal paste, and because I was on vacation and had taken a like a rental car or the people who people who some of the family had taken the car out, so there's no other car. So I'm sitting there at the at the condo by myself. Uh-huh. I don't have any thermal paste. You just like scrape it off? No, I didn't have to do that. turns out within about three-mile walk was a Best Buy. (laughs) Okay? And I called this Best Buy and I said, do you have thermal paste in stock? Because it's kind of – and she was like, I don't know. I was like, can you check for me? And she came back and she goes, I think we have it. And I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> no, I really need to know because right? I'm about to walk and so I go, I go there and I go to the, the – this is in – where the hell was I at? Georgia, I think. No, I was on um, – 
I don't know. Uh, uh, what's, in the middle of nowhere. What's the island on South Carolina? Uh, uh, Hilton Head? Hilton Head. Hilton I think Head. I was on Hilton Head. Hilton Head Island. Hilton Head has a Best Buy? Yeah, as it turns out. Yeah, there's well, a lot of residents. No, you know what? I think you're right. Area. I think I was in Georgia. Anyway, oh. I walked this two and a half miles to this Best Buy. It wasn't cool. <laughs> uphill, it was warm. Both ways. Uphill, uphill, both ways. ways. Yeah. Right. And as I'm getting closer Avoiding to it, I'm realizing it, and snakes. This is like one of those dilapidated Best Buys. I walk in. There's a bunch of barren shelves. Lighting is poor. It's one of the small ones. I'm like, oh, this is not gonna be good. I walk over to the, like the component section. There's like one hard drive. There's like one stick of memory <laughs> <Wow>. half open, <laughs> half opened. And I go there, and like, there's like a case fan, and there's a place where there's supposed to be thermal paste, but there's not. There's a $50 <laughs> HDMI cable. And they sell thermal take, thermal take, uh, thermal take, uh, uh, thermal paste. So I go to the Geek Squad, and I go, hey, I really, really need this thermal paste. Long How about short, I cut my hands and it you took just a, put it some thermal paste? It took 30 minutes to find it, and then they found a case of like 16 of them. And I said, I'll just give me four. I just, I'm never going to have this happen to me again. So I bought four things of thermal paste that I probably paid – $19 a piece for or something ridiculous, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? $80 and then I walked two and a half miles back yeah. to apply with your- one, one piece-sized thing on another processor, and then I never needed it again. Like a printer right And now. here I thought this was going to be a Kentucky Jelly story. Could have done that. Uh, I, I'm not, I wasn't traveling with you, though, Josh, so I didn't get a chance to, yeah. to borrow any. But. All right, up next, who do we got? You, I guess. This is the next thing, so you go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been using this since it came out. There's like all sorts of different VNC Based on the website style, I'm going to say 1989. Uh, It was uh, 2005, (laughs) I think. Okay. All right. I think, maybe. I I want to say it was earlier than that, but Wikipedia said 2005, so that must... I guess that seems unlikely, but okay. What are we looking at? Tell, anyway, tell the people uh, on the audio version of the podcast what so, we're talking about. So it's a VNC client and server thing. Um, the the client is not as important as the server in this case. Uh, the reason it's it's uh, it was like a one of the various ports of the open source VNC client mm-hmm. from who the heck owns the original? Uh, Don't know. Ah, uh, whatever. Yep. I think, yeah. Anyway, uh, it's a port of it. But the idea when it first came out was that uh, all of the other VNC servers kind of sucked the way that they would uh, capture the screen of the host. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they would tend to be really slow or they would like just peg the CPU trying to do it, trying to basically just do the equivalent of like constant print screens and then capturing it and then encoding sure. it and whatever. So the deal with Ultra VNC was that it had a mirror driver that you could install. And if you install the mirror driver, uh, it basically acts as like a cloned display, but it's virtual. So your screen output is just going directly to this this piece of software. Right. So it didn't have to do like screen scraping and all this other stuff. And uh, if you were accessing machines on your local network, you could get, I mean, it was basically almost like you were just sitting at the machine. Right, like the, everything was just—you could drag a window around the screen, and it would just update in real time. Like, you know, almost, uh, almost as if you were just physically right there. Even if you were playing a video, you now granted you can't get audio across the network, but like if you're playing video, you would see like sixty frame per second updating across your network hmm. of video. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so it was pretty cool. Uh, the other advantage to it is that uh, if, say, you're uh, remoting into a test system that you're sensitive to CPU usage on, that mirror driver is super efficient. 
So even on a modern Windows 10 system where they're doing a completely different like desktop, uh, you know, however the desktop rendering works, and there's a, you know way more efficient ways nowadays to hook into that yeah. for the purposes of VNC servers. That mirror driver even today is still way more efficient on Windows 10. Even though the mirror driver is like not even support anymore, I don't think it's been updated in five or ten years or something. But it's just a very simple, like it, it's like the simplest possible mirror driver thing to the point where even you know nothing has broken it. Like it's just it's so simple that nothing you know has really messed it up over the years. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And also, there's a bunch of other community involvement with this Ultra VNC in particular. Like there's a thing called. Uh, Ultra VNC single click, which if you're handy and you're the person that keeps doing support for other family members, you can basically take this package, you configure it yourself. It's like the server, but it's in an executable instead of as a service that needs to be installed. Mm-hmm. So it's just a single click executable. So it knows to call you. It knows to call you. You put your URL that you yeah. want it to reach you, right? And if it's someone behind a router that you can't get in from the other way, you, right. okay, I'm going to send you this run this and it will reverse, you know, initiate a reverse connection from my machine into yours so I can do my support for you. Fair. Right. Um, really handy. Like I made one of those years ago and I keep using it for, you know, random family member instead of talking them through installing the program and mm-hmm, okay, now mm-hmm. forward this port on your firewall or whatever. You don't want to have to deal with that. Right. You can just, they can just initiate the connection outbound and you just, you know, fix their computer really quick and then you close it. Yeah. So, you know, just right. a handy little tool is definitely worth looking at if you uh, use VNC a lot and maybe didn't realize that there was like a, a, bit, a more power user version of it. Got it. Floating around up there. Uh, all right. It looks like up next is Jeremy, which means Josh is going to be dead last. Jeremy, go ahead. The apocalypse is nigh in less than 10 hours. What? The newest DLC for Stellaris is coming out, which I mean... No longer is it entertaining to turn your race into a bunch of robots, take over a planet, and sell their population back to the enemy as food. Uh, At this point, you can find out where they've set uh, a holy planet, which is a planet they're not allowed to touch on. It's the most holiest thing in their entire world. Mm -hmm. And sever it from the entire universe with an impenetrable shield because blowing it up is boring. It's just a fun game, and the stories that you can sort of build as you're playing it, just because of the huge differences each playthrough give you and each race gives you, you end up just giggling to yourself, making up strange stories. There's also Titans. That is that big-ass thing following the fleet that is bigger than most of the fleet put together. So it's dropping tomorrow, and it is going to be so much fun. Is it going to be... Stellar. It will be stellar. Right now you're watching the Earth being destroyed. You will soon be able to play them as a post-apocalyptic race. Fair enough. All right, Josh. We saved you for the best for last. Oh, I don't know about best, but my (laughs) wife's really looking forward to this one. All right. And it's not by Hitachi. Yet. Anyway. There's an appropriate so, picture. The older I get, Hold on, Josh. The I like star. Max Rock. Josh, there's an appropriate picture. It's a second picture from the bottom for what Josh is talking about here. So zoom in the mouse over and zoom in on the upper left. There you go. Come in. There you go. There's Josh's yeah, wife. Yeah, that's, that's my wife. And, the, and then there's Josh's Josh wife. <laughs> at me. 
She's pretty nice. Usually the hand to be over your mouth, not her ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Suffocating <laughs> yeah, you with yeah. a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> or around my <laughs> neck. So Yeah, it's if you know for only fourteen bucks, we're giving these a shot. And see if they work for. Because if I have like even two beers, I snore like a madman. Really? So these are earbuds. Old sucks. These are super so lightweight. Just, you know, it's, it's been a couple of years since you guys, you know, slept with me. If you know what I mean. Think about it uh-huh. every day. Hasn't felt like it. Ken <laughs> <laughs> still yes. has nightmares. It's recurring. <laughs> it happens. Fourteen bucks. Give it a shot. So, hey. what makes them sleep? Earplugs. Probably the, uh, they're soft and they're small. The cord they probably seems to be, sound like crap. The cord seems to be really <laughs> short. Yeah. The cord is short. Also, I would imagine that they don't stick out of your ear at all. That way, if you roll over yeah. to your side, they're not putting pressure in. I, yeah. the, the Bose wireless headphones that I have, I have fallen asleep with oh, yeah, these on are a plane or whatever. Yeah. And they kind of like go into the canal a little bit and, and stuff, but then they have the neck part around them that make them less less useful for that all right everybody that's going to be it for this week thank you for joining us on our 488th episode of the pc perspective podcast we will be back next week uh i don't think i'm not going i'm not i'm not going out of town so i should be good as far as he knows yeah i mean hey things change but uh there you go we'll see you guys next week bye see you bye